0: I came across a quote this week that I wanted to share with you from A.W. Tozer. He said, I can safely say on the authority that of all that is revealed in the word of God that any man or woman on this earth who is bored and turned off by worship is not ready for heaven. That's true for the young, it's true for the old. Um, if somehow worshiping God is something that does not stir your heart you're not ready for heaven because that's what we're going to do there amongst other things but the worship of God is so crucial It's it's when you become occupied with Him, that He begins to change you from the inside. And just uh, going through the road routine of Christianity, that's not going to change you. But being in the presence of God, just you and Him, that's when our hearts become more like Jesus Christ. And so I just thought uh, I'd share that quote with you this week. Let's pray. Father, we do pray for Sydney. I ask that you might uh, give her strength, encouragement, comfort. We pray for this baby that even now, the Spirit of God would be working in her little heart to give her a, a thirst and a hunger for Jesus Christ. Pray for the delivery, that it might go well, it might be safe. And that the family will have a a lot of things to rejoice with this afternoon. So we pray for Sydney. We ask uh, for ourselves that you might be in this place today. And that we will leave here changed because of the Word of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hopefully, sometime in the the past 10 months, uh, you've seen one or more of the He Gets Us commercials on TV or on YouTube. A group of Christian philanthropists agreed to invest the measure of their wealth in a national campaign and I quote to see the Jesus of the Bible represented in today's culture with the same relevance and impact he had two thousand years ago their goal was to reintroduce many Americans to the Jesus of the Bible because the Jesus of the, the Bible is not understood by most Americans. They have preconceived, erroneous, distorted ideas about Jesus and his followers. And so several wealthy Christian families, including the David Green family, uh, the founders of Hobby Lobby, believed and prayed that a series of short, quality productions could be used by God to create an interest in the real Jesus of the Bible. And if just a handful of folks would investigate the real Jesus and come to faith in Him through these presentations, then it would be well worth the investment. I remember seeing the first installments uh, months ago and wondered, uh, who is doing this? Uh, I was thanking God for the accurate portrayals of Jesus because the fact is, Jesus really does get us.
1: A young mother had a son, a kind-hearted boy who always tried to do what's right. As he grew older, he worried about others more than himself. Whenever he saw anyone suffering, he tried to heal and comfort them. But more people became sick. Disease ravaged the land. People were quarantined, isolated. Many didn't survive. It became too much. And he had to isolate himself. He cried as he thought about all the unbearable things the people were going through. The mental anguish racked him with sorrow.
0: and tragic situations and Jesus felt the hurt and felt the heartache of other people there would be a a new world coming one day there would be a new heaven and a new earth and a new beginning no more sin no more sorrow no more pain but not now not yet Right now, living on earth that had been cursed by sin, there would be sickness, and sorrow, and injustice, and death, broken lives, and broken homes, and broken hearts. But Jesus carried the burdens of others, because He really did care. Mm. he saw our sorrows. He wasn't indifferent. He became outraged when he saw injustices. He was fed up with politics. He was sick of hypocrisy. He loved those that we hated. And he knew firsthand about the struggles of life and all the struggles of life. When Jesus was born, He was born to a teen mother. Her pregnancy was suspicious because she was not married. And that stigma stayed with Jesus throughout His lifetime. In John chapter 8, some of His critics scoffed and said, we're not illegitimate children. Why'd they say that? Because the rumor about Christ's birth was still in the air.
1: A young girl had a boyfriend. She got pregnant. She was scared. How could she face her parents? They say, can't have something like that forever. Her parents asked who the father was. They assumed her boyfriend, but it wasn't his. He loved her so much he offered to help raise a child with her. They married and found a small place. They had very little money. And no insurance. and lay Him in nature.
0: See, Jesus gets us. And He knows what we need to become what we need to be. I don't know if you saw the commercial at the Super Bowl last Sunday. But uh, it was called Be Childlike. like little children. You know if the writer of the book of Hebrews saw these short TV commercials, he would have smiled, he would have cried, because he gets us is one of the reoccurring themes in the book of Hebrews. Jesus gets us. He understands what each and every one of us is going through. And He gets us. He sympathizes with us in our struggles. He knows what we need. He's been in our shoes. From the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16, he says, Therefore, we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have One who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. So let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. He talks about Jesus as an exalted High Priest. Jesus as a sympathizing High Priest, and Jesus as a responsive High Priest. The book of Hebrews Hebrews was written to a, a group of Hebrew believers, Jewish believers in Jesus Christ, and they were considering very seriously going back, leaving the Church, and going back to their old ways, going back to their old religion back to the sacrifices, and priests, and feasts, and temple worship, and acknowledging Jesus as their Messiah, and their Savior, and their Lord, was just becoming too hard. It was, it was becoming too costly. They were undergoing increasing persecution amongst their people, ostracism from their families, economic boycott, just because they confessed Jesus as their Messiah. And they were beginning to cave into the pressure. Because it's not always easy to follow Jesus Christ. Maybe we should go back to our old religion. Life in the community would be so much easier. And so the writer of Hebrews is going to reason with them. And it's going to show them that Jesus is better than anything they have experienced in their old way of life. And that Jesus is better than anything their old religion could offer him and one of his arguments centered around the Jewish high priest the Jewish high priest was the one man in Israel who represented God to the people and who represented the people to God he did so at the temple in Jerusalem There was no one in all the nation that was higher than he he was the sole bridge, the sole intermediary between God and man. The Jewish High Priest was their connection with God. But the writer of Hebrews is going to say to the struggling Jewish believers that their High Priest, who represents God to us, and us to God. The One who stands before God on our behalf, and the One who intercedes for us, our High Priest, as believers in Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and He resides in Heaven. So why in the world would you abandon Jesus, your Great High Priest, who represents you before God in Heaven, for a high priest who is just a mere man and confined to this earth. That's his argument. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone to the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Don't give up. Don't throw it away. Don't walk away. The Jewish High Priest was a mere man. Our High Priest is the Son of God. The Jewish High Priest represents God to us and us to God and serves at a temple on earth. But our High Priest represents God to us and us to God and serves at the temple in heaven. The Jewish High Priest sprinkled the blood of an animal sacrifice on the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies at the temple in Jerusalem, once a year, and every year, year after year after year. But our High Priest shed his own blood as a sacrifice on the cross, once for all. So whose High Priest is better? It says, we have a great High Priest who has gone through the heavens. What's he talking about? Well, Jesus came, and lived, and died, bore our sins on the cross, rose again three days later, and for 40 days, it says in Acts chapter 1, He appeared before the disciples, teaching them about the kingdom of God. And then, after 40 days, He ascended into heaven before their very eyes, And scripture says he sat down at the right hand of the Father. His mission was accomplished. He sat down. His mission was accepted in heaven. He sat down next to the Father. And so when it says we have a high priest who has gone through the heavens, it's speaking about his ascension from earth to heaven 40 days after his resurrection. The Jewish high priest He passed from the outer court of the Temple, into the inner court of the Temple where the priests were allowed to be. And then He passed into the holy place of the Temple, and then into the Holy of Holies. But our High Priest, He passed out of the sight of the disciples, through the heavens, to the very presence of God, to be exalted as God's High Priest. He was the ultimate bridge, the ultimate connection between us and God. The ultimate mediator between us and God. And so says the writer of Hebrews, Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Our High Priest is better. So Jesus is an exalted High Priest, but Jesus is a sympathizing High Priest. For we do not have a High Priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have One who has been tempted in every way just as we are, and yet was without sin. When you study the history of the High Priesthood of the Jewish people, you discovered that the high priests, for the most part, were hypocritical. They were aloof. They were separate from the ordinary folks. They were self-righteous. They were indifferent to the needs of the people. They, they were there to serve not others, but only themselves. But our high priest did not like that. Our high priest was sinless and holy, who came to seek and to save that which was lost, to lay down His life for us all. And we had a great high priest who sympathized with people when he walked on this earth. And he's the same today. The Son of God sympathizes with us because of what is called the incarnation. The word incarnation simply means that the Son of God took on a human body. The Son of God became flesh, and he became a real flesh and blood man. Not an almost man, no, he was all man. In the early church uh, a teaching appeared and was called docetism, and dos, do, doceo means to seem to be. And it was taught that Jesus just seemed to be a man, but He wasn't a man. He was a spirit being. No, that's not what the Scripture says. Scripture says He was a real man with a real human body, a real human mind, real human emotions. He was a, a man. He was born as a man. He died as a man. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, There is one mediator between God and man, THE MAN, CHRIST JESUS, HE WAS ALL MAN, THE PERFECT MAN, THAT'S CALLED THE INCARNATION AND BECAUSE OF THE INCARNATION, BECAUSE JESUS BECAME A FULL-BLOODED MAN, HE GETS US, HE UNDERSTANDS, He experienced all of life's joys, all of life's pleasures, all of life's struggles, all of life's disappointments. He experienced life on a cursed earth. And so He can identify with us. He was not sheltered from the twists and turns and injustices of life. He could honestly say, I've been there. I've had that experience. And there's no trial too great. There's no temptation too strong that my Father cannot see you through. Because He did it for me. He'll do it for you. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. The word sympathize means to touch with the feeling of. Jesus not only KNOWS your hurts, He FEELS your hurts. He feels just as you do. He suffers with you and makes it His own. I mean, do you you ever struggle with loneliness? I was an only child. Adopted, mom and dad said I was Enough to handle, and so they stop as one. <laughs> but I gotta tell you that uh, there have been times I really struggle with loneliness, connection. There are many places in Scripture it says that Jesus went alone. <laughs> Have you ever been betrayed? Have you ever been abused? Have you ever been forsaken? Have you ever been rejected by your family? Have you ever lost a loved one? Have you ever been tempted to the nth degree? Have you ever been misunderstood? I responded to the call I didn't know if he was guilty or not I couldn't get bored the opinion I got caught up in the emotion of the trial I can't testify But I got scared Unexpected to be tough on crime
1: I know my son I will never forgive his final words Forgive them.
0: Poverty. Jesus said, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Johnny e. Erickson Tata, after being paralyzed and confined to a bed at the age of 17 due to a diving accident, had a well-meaning friend, come to her bedside one day, and and they read the verse that we've read. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Now we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. And Johnny said, "Has Jesus ever been pure <laughs> Sorry. Has Jesus ever been paralyzed? And the moment she said it, guilt pierced her heart. Because she envisioned Jesus Christ hanging on a cross, paralyzed by Roman nails. And she said to herself, Jesus can sympathize with me in my paralysis. He's been there. Jesus does get us. He fully understands what it means to be human. Nothing human was strange to Christ. He is not only aware of our weaknesses, he experienced our weaknesses. The old African American spiritual got it right. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows what but Jesus. Father was trying to teach his six year old son how to shoot a basket. And the boy would take the basket and, and push it as hard as he could toward the hoop, but it always would fall short. So the father would take the basketball and said, "Now do this and shoot." He said, "Now, said, it's easy. Just just do it this way." And the boy would try, and he missed again and again and again. And the father said, "Son, just just push it harder." And after several minutes and many misses, the boy said to his dad, he said, look, it's easy for you up there. You don't know how hard it is for us down here. (laughs) You can never say that to Jesus. He knows how hard it is down here. He's been here. He's walked in our sandals. He knows how we feel. Pastor Ken Hughes says, Jesus has an unequal capacity for sympathy. It goes far beyond the intellectual because it is truly experiential. Jesus does not just imagine how we feel. He feels it. The word for sympathize means to share the experience of another and most, the most sensitive man who ever lived. He feels with it. Jesus is an exalted high priest. Jesus is a sympathizing high priest. But Jesus is also a responsive high priest. It says, Let us then approach the throne of grace. Notice it does not say the throne of guilt, like many people would want to make it. Then say, Let us approach the throne of wrath, the throne of judgment. The throne of conduct, no. It says, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus not only sympathizes with us in our trials and our temptations, but as our High Priest He is able to act on our behalf. He's responsive to our needs you know when Tim went to Liberty University, we had enough money to get him there and back. We lived in beautiful downtown Beaver, Oregon and we told Tim that, that he could choose one college, one university, to go visit and we paid his way no matter where it was on the continental United States. And so he chose to go to the farthest university away from Beaver, Oregon, <laughs> Liberty University, Lynchburg, Virginia. And so he flew him there. He landed in Washington, D.C. where we had a friend that I used to teach in high school and, and our friend Tony showed him around Washington, D.C. and, and it, he just had a great time and, and uh, went to Liberty and he called home and he says, do I have to come home? I said, yes, you have to come home. You're student body president. They're expecting you to finish the year. And he flew home. And as it turned out, he spent five years at Liberty to get his, eventually, his, his master's. And those, I feel guilty for even saying this, but, but in those five years, um, we could only promise to get him there and back once a year, Uh, we had no savings, uh, no retirement account to draw upon, we had no extra income, we lived like many folks, do paycheck to paycheck, and I wanted to do more, uh, to help, but I couldn't, there was just no more money at the end of the month, and I sympathized with Tim, I really did, knowing his financial needs, It costs to go to college, but I was absolutely powerless to do anything about it. Jesus not only cares, not only sympathizes, but He can do something about our situation. He can respond to our need. Now how does He respond? I didn't get this until this week. As I've told you before, I'm a baron with little brain, and it takes time for me to understand some of this stuff, but as I read verse 16, it finally dawned on me. How does Jesus respond to our needs as High Priest? Now some of you, you already know this. you know. But I finally got it. Jesus represents us before the Father so that now we have access to the Father through the Son. We come to the Father in prayer only on the basis of Christ's high priestly ministry. Believing sinners can meet with God and stand before God, it says, with confidence. We don't approach God on our own merits. We don't have have anything to offer God. We're spiritually bankrupt, but we come to the Father through Jesus the Son, our High Priest. And on the basis of His merits, His death on the cross, His resurrection, His ascension, now we can present our needs to Christ. Let us then approach the throne of grace." The word throne in the book of Hebrews is used four times, and it always refers to the throne of God the Father. It does not refer to Christ's throne. It refers to the throne of God. And the Father's throne is a throne of grace. And so through the merits of our High Priest, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence because Christ has paved the way. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So as we come humbly and confidently and expectantly to the throne of grace, it's the Father who gives us what? What does it say? Grace. He gives us mercy and forgives us of our sins, and He gives us grace to respond to our situation. Please listen to this. He does not promise to change our circumstances. He does not promise to alter our situation. Our situation. He does not promise that our lives will become easier. What does He promise us? He promises us grace. And grace is the enabling force from God giving us the desire and the power To do God's will with joy. Now. For those of us who have walked with God a while. We have found that there are times when God answers our prayers in just miraculous ways. There's no way to explain it. We, uh pray and pray for this certain job, and it falls at our feet. The job that we always wanted, the job that we think, I I can do this, this fits me. Or the check comes in the mail, the money that we've prayed for comes and meets a need. Or the relationship is restored, the broken hearts and the, the wounded feelings are mended. We prayed and prayed and prayed, and God responded in an obvious and wonderful way. And I've had all those experiences. I was unemployed, pretty much. And there's this job I wanted. And I had been praying for it for a long time. And I went in for the interview, and he asked the wrong questions, and I gave the right answers. I told him exactly what I thought, and I came home to Patty and said, Well, I'm not going to get a call back from that guy. Because he asked me this, this, and this, and I said this, this, and this. And I shot myself in the foot, but I told him the truth. And he called back, and he said, You're hired. I said, You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> after what I said to you, he said, you're exactly the guy we're looking for. The best job I ever had. It was an answer to prayer. But you know what? There are other times when God did not answer as I asked. I would say more times than not. He didn't change the circumstances, but He changed me, and He gave me grace. He gave me the enabling force from God, giving us the desire and the power to do His will with joy. We didn't land the job, the check didn't come, the relationship wasn't restored. The prayer was not answered as we had hoped, but in the midst of the trial, he gave grace to be godly when things were not going our way. But we responded as Jesus Christ would have responded in the situation. He gave us love and joy and peace and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self control in the midst of the storm, but he did not answer the prayers we prayed. But he did answer the prayers he promised. Because what did he promise? He promised to give us grace. Some of you have prayed and prayed and prayed, and nothing's changed. And in, in the back of your mind, you're thinking maybe this God thing just isn't real. No. It's just that the Father has decided in His sovereignty, in His wisdom, not to answer your prayers you've been asking, but right now, in this situation, for the time being, He's going to give you grace. And He'll give you the grace to respond righteously in the midst of your trial, and to do so with joy. You know, for some people, that's not enough, that's not enough. And they become bitter, and they become disillusioned, that God gives what is best, considering all the circumstances, and sometimes His best is His grace. And He has promised to do that. He has promised to do that. He giveth more grace, as the song says, when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength, when the labors increase, to add an affliction, he added his mercy, to multiply trials, he gives multiplied peace. Jesus is an exalted High Priest. Jesus is a sympathizing High Priest. Jesus is a responsive High Priest, who as our High Priest has gained us access to the throne of God, to the Father, through His blood. And as we approach the throne of grace, we do so with confidence now. And when we do, we receive mercy for the forgiveness of our sins and grace, to help us in our time of need. So does Jesus care what you're going through? He does, because He really gets us. Two verses in the song. They go like this Does Jesus care when my way is dark with a nameless dread and fear? As the daylight fades into deep dark shades, does he care enough to be Does Jesus care when I said goodbye to the dearest on earth to me? My sad heart aches until it nearly breaks. Is it ought to him? Does he see? And then the chorus. Oh yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. And when the days are weary, and the long night dreary, I know my Savior cares. He gets us. Father, I pray for any that are here today that are going through a, a time of a darkness, that they might be assured by the certain word of God. That Jesus Christ, the Son of God who passed through the heavens. Our great high priest. That he cares. And that if they come to you, Father, on the throne of your grace. They will find mercy and grace to help them in their time of need. It's the promise of God. So Father, increase our faith. Because it is often so small. Help us to trust in you until the day Jesus comes. To take us to be with himself. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.